Many miracles and wonders were being done through the apostles, and everyone was filled with awe. All the believers continued together in close fellowship and shared their belongings with one another. They would sell their property and possessions and distribute the money among all according to what each one needed. Day after day they met as a group in the temple, and they had their meals together in their homes, eating with glad and humble hearts, praising God, and enjoying the good will of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their group those who were being saved. I'm Tim. And I'm Chris. And this is the Deconstruction Series. Welcome to the Always More podcast, where we believe there's always more room at the table for honest questions, meaningful conversations, and deeper understanding. Today, we are continuing our deconstruction series. And so, if you haven't listened to the other five episodes in this series, there's only five? There's, yeah, I know. It feels kind of weird, right? I feel like we've been doing this forever. It feels that way. Like 17 episodes in and we're just like, all right, now we're on to our second topic. <laughs> Five episodes, guys. So if you haven't listened to them, um, it, it, it might do you well just because uh, it gives you some context. And um, and as we've shared in the first episode, one of our greatest influences in deconstructing was just listening to people. And so we, when we listen and we seek to understand, we, we often disarm ourselves and genuinely search for the truth in the matter. And so... In order to understand some of the context as to why we're saying what we're saying, it might do you good to hear all of what we've been saying regarding this series and in this series. So, in order, yeah, yeah. Um, and if you're listening to this one randomly, welcome. Glad you're listening. You should listen to the series. I would go back to at least the first episode and listen to the full episode because we've gotten a couple of comments <laughs> that were. <laughs> They, they they were unnecessary, I think. Unnecessarily yeah. rude. Well, and people just assume things. They didn't right. actually listen to the whole episode. They caught, like, the clip that we put on TikTok yeah. or uh, Instagram, yeah. and they just ran with it. <laughs> they just ran with it. We had one person got really upset that we shared or that we, um, oh, that we, that we, um, we suggested someone to follow. It was a certain person. And... We they're there's like if you if you if, and I guess they've heard us talk about this other person before, but if you can get onto this person, then you shouldn't you shouldn't recommend this person. I'm like, homie, we're not trying to convince anyone of anything. We just kind of like some of the ideas this guy has. Yeah, we we say constantly like we don't agree with a hundred percent of everything that these people say that we're suggesting. We're just saying like this particular particular instance, we liked what he said about this. Yeah, and and to be fair too, um, and just in case you guys don't know this, I'm not going to share a person or a, a book or whatever from someone who deliberately shares a message of hate or shares a, a, a sub message of discrimination or uh, non-affirming whatever. I'm, I'm just, right. not, I'm not going to do it. Like right. I, it's our podcast. We do what we want with it. You know uh, you know, we still consider ourselves Christians, but if someone is deliberately out there just sharing things that are bringing harm to others, spiritually, emotionally, whatever, we're not going to do it. Just not going to do it. It's not going to happen. Not, not here. Happen. <laughs> All right, guys. So we are in part six of this series, uh, and today we are talking about American and Christian nationalism. Yeah. So this will be a real fun episode for, this is... <laughs> for some people that have recently come at me on Facebook. <laughs> Chris, let's start this thing out. Yeah. Uh, so we'll go ahead and just as always start off with some stats that Tim gathered. I did not gather. 
Um, but according to a 2018 Woodrow Wilson National Fellowship Foundation survey. That's a mouthful. It is. Um, only one in three Americans is actually capable of passing the U.S. citizenship exam. Isn't that wild? Like, you're born into this country, <laughs> and everybody talks about, you know, citizens first, America first, but only one in three yeah. can pass it. I actually took the practice exam myself recently because I saw a TikTok about it, <laughs> and I passed. Yeah. Yeah, I think I only got, like, two questions wrong. Yeah. But everything else, like... It's stuff that should be easy, but looking at the statistic, it's insane that only one in three can pass. There was a there was a video that um, Jimmy Kimmel posted a while back, and granted, it's both sides. You you can find idiots and people yeah, that le- are not intelligent, left or left right. Or right. It doesn't matter. But uh, someone, uh, by the mention of Ted Cruz, um, harped on Jimmy Kimmel because he he claimed that the people that he showed in this one video were all Democrats or whatever, like they couldn't something on a map and so he deliberately went out and only chose to show republican people or people that voted for trump or whoever right. All right show america on the map dude it was it was frightening just like america just show us america like they asked other countries too like actually no they asked just name a country on the map it was a globe and they couldn't like half of them could hardly do anything it was remarkable that's i mean granted again it's upsetting again it's all sides but it's just this stat actually kind of just shows you just how little I think all collectively we are all kind of just lacking in the you, understanding of you our nation. You forget a lot of times that average intelligence means that half of the world is dumber than that. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what I, I always forget that like half of the world is dumber than average intelligence. <laughs> average doesn't mean baseline. And guys, if and, and again, to be clear, we're not blaming the people that don't have this information. It, it's not their well mo- for the most part. It's not their fault. It's our education system. Yeah, and, and, and <laughs> which we'll get into later <laughs> on for are. sure. Um, but let me jump into the next one. Based on U- a YouGov survey in 2016, when answering yes or no to the statement "My country is the best country in the world," 41 percent of Americans said yes. Sounds about right. Uh, the next nine countries are India, Australia, the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, Thailand, Philippines, Indonesia, and the United Kingdom, and then Denmark, uh, Denmark being 13%, and India being the next closest one was 35%. Yeah. So that's a lot of Americans compared to every other country that was surveyed. Yeah. They, they only asked countries, I think, that had like a certain like high economic, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, G. GPS. What's G- work? GDP. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and so it was, um, America obviously was the highest, and th- those were the next nine countries. And so it just kind of kind of looks at the pride that we have for our own country. America. America. Um, all right. So in a partnership between BAV Group and the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, a study was released surveying 17,000 global citizens to determine the country that provides the highest quality of life with qualifiers like affordability, a good job market, economic st- economically stable, family-friendly, income equality, politically stable, safe, well-developed public education system, and well-developed public health system. The U.S. ranked 20th. So again, this is the highest they quality surveyed, of life. They surveyed... 17. Global citizens, mm-hmm. not just people in the U.S., but across the globe. Yeah, seventeen thousand people. That's a pretty good. That's a pretty good um, collection of people. It is. Um, and so, U.S. ranked twentieth behind countries like Canada, which was number one. Sweden was number three. Australia was number six. Austria, number eleven, and UK fourteen. Um, I really feel like Canada's right there. 
it's so close. And as much crap as we give them, we could learn a lot from we Canada. We could. We could. Um, all right, last stat for you guys. In 2020, a 13-nation Pew Research survey showed that America's reputation had declined greatly among its allies and partners over the past two decades. For example, in 2000 in the U.K., 83% had a favorable view of the U.S. compared to only 41% in 2020. Oof. France, 62 in 2000, 31 in 2020. Germany, 78, uh, then to 26. And the trends are pretty much all the same, with Japan at 41, Canada at 35, and Australia at 33. And this, to me, is important because these are our allies. These are the people that you're you know, close to and in connection with that we will defend. If we needed to start a brand new war, yeah, they would be there. So, well, I don't, know, I don't know Hopefully. about any more. <laughs> they would have been then in 2000. Yeah, and so I, we wanted to share these stats just to, because, and we'll kind of get into this a little bit later, but a lot of these things aren't widely distributed. A lot of these things aren't well known. Just yeah, the same they're, way they're not hidden per se, but they're definitely not told to us. Right. Well, I mean, guys, and listen, I, I will completely admit, both there's bias on both sides. Now, I will say I think there's a little bit more bias on the right. However, sure. uh, I I deliberately you know look at apps kind of like Ground News. Shout out. Hopefully, they can sponsor us someday. That'd be real nice, right? Uh, right. Um, but. To look at news, like to look at a certain subject and to look at both sides of it, to look at articles from both sides, because it's important to kind of gain different perspectives just in case. Because, look, no one's perfect. No one is you know, gets everything correct 100% of the time. Um, and, and it doesn't matter where you land on the spectrum. You don't want to end up as a blind, ignorant follower of anything. Yeah. Um, so with those stats, we wanted to at least show you a little bit of what, one, Americans think about themselves, but also what other countries think about us, even yeah. our allies. Yeah, and these are all, like, independent stat places to get your information from, I guess. Right. I don't know what the word is for stat places. Uh, surveyors? Sur- sur- <laughs> researchers surveyors, and whatever. So- they're, they're so- all sociologists. The, the point is they're not being found, uh, funded by, like, the Clinton family, all right? Right. <laughs> They're not being funded by the left or the right. It doesn't matter. They're independent. They do this stuff simply for research purposes. Yeah. Um, so let's go ahead and get into some ground rules, I think, since we do that every episode. It should yeah. be another thing that we keep going for whatever. Um, some of the ground rules to keep in mind in the back of your, in the back of your head, recognize some common thoughts that we know people are going to have on the episode. Yeah, um, this one especially. <laughs> First and foremost, we are not anti-America. No, we're not. We're not saying that America sucks and everybody needs to move to Canada. Um, we're not saying anything weird like that, at least not in the sense that most people would assume. Yeah. Um, some of my specific family members that I can think of right off the top of my head would assume. Um, it's just, it's like the way uh, propaganda, the uh, spoken word poet, artist, yeah. rapper, propaganda says, I don't hate America, I just demand that she keeps her promises. Come on, come on. That is... My entire viewpoint on America right now, like I don't hate America. Yeah. If if I had the opportunity to kneel with Colin Kaepernick, I absolutely would. Mm-hmm. Not because I hate America, but because we're promised certain things, and until those things are being given to us, yeah, we are not living up to the potential that America has. That's the whole point behind protesting is living up to the potential that America has kind of making sure that it's held to the standard it's supposed to be, that it claims to be at. 100%. Um, And this is real important going forward, like we said in many episodes, because many have like a, a many people like confuse being critical 
um, of your country with being hateful. Right. Towards it. 100%. Anytime you criticize America, people get real defensive and they're like, oh, well, you just hate America. No, 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 no. Anytime you yeah. criticize the police, they're like, oh, you hate the police. Therefore, you hate America. You hate the troops. None of that is related. <laughs> None of that is true. Uh, just uh, being critical doesn't mean that we hate anything. So uh, actually, that's the second ground rule that we have here is our critical stance does not mean that we hate veterans. Yeah, we want to make that clear because that's usually one of the the punches, one of the things that people on the right, just to be honest, they try to throw in people's faces. Now, look, you hate the troops, <laughs> bro. No. <laughs> that's not it. That's not the case. Our, we have family in the military. My family are the troops. <laughs> <laughs> my dad was in the army. My mom was in the army. My brother's in the army. I tried to join the army. They wouldn't take me because I'm type 1 diabetic. And then I tried to join the Air Force. Yeah. And then I tried to join the Marines. All three of them told me the same thing. <laughs> no. But, you know, it is what it is. We don't, we don't hate the troops. Just because we're critical doesn't mean we hate. Yeah. And I want to say something, too, just real quick regarding this. Um, as someone who used to be hyper-conservative and who loved military history, and I still kind of do, um, I, 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 I find myself hearing from more liberal circles. And I can tell you that these are not the majority of conversations happening on that side of the spectrum. Right. You know, I, I do my best, again, to listen to both sides. But one of the things that I was surprised as when I started listening more and more to things on the left, they're not as hateful as the right made them out to be. Yeah, we don't sit around pentagrams holding uh, <laughs> holding candles just talking about how much we hate the troops. Yeah. That's not a thing. No, I, I will be 100% like honest and real. I think I, I believe a lot of this stems from what from the hate that did arise from uh, towards veterans during the Vietnam War, which I do recognize and observe that there definitely was some. Um, now, granted, a lot of that hate was, was misdirected. Oh, and, for sure. And it was... Um, it was for the first time that war crimes and things were being brought to light and people, especially televised war. Yeah. And people on the left were falsely accusing all uh, veterans and all soldiers, all Marines, whoever of doing said things. And that is definitely wrong. Um, But I think that hatred or that fear of hatred or that accusation carried on ever since then. And that's what like 50 years since, since that it's been a minute. Um, And, and full disclosure, my grandfather served in Vietnam. He he was he was one of those people that was not viewed upon very lightly uh, yeah. on his return, um, and so most of my complaints, and from what I gather with the left, uh, or what I gather from people on the left about wars, have nothing to do with the individual soldiers or the servicemen who have volunteered or were drafted, but rather it's the men in charge. It's it's mm-hmm. the it's the men with power. Um, and as former U.S. President Herbert Hoover said in his speech in the 23rd Republican National Convention in 1944, older men declare war, but it is the youth that must fight and die. Yeah. Come on. That, that's 100% accurate. Yeah. And, and I did, I did want to make one more thing clear, too, before we continue on. Um, I have, me personally, and I don't know about you, Chris, but I, I have a lot of friends and family members and even mentors who fall on the conservative side of things. And I still think they're amazing, beautiful, intelligent, smart people. And I think it doesn't matter what their beliefs are because they love people and because they care about people and they choose to listen. I I respect them. And so um, most of what we say today are not directed at those who choose to listen and to care to love their neighbor. Right. Because we're going to speak in broad terms, and as we've been doing pretty much this whole series. 
Um, and and I, I don't want – that's one of the, the things I've struggled with in this series um, is I, I don't want those who I love and those who might think differently from me think that I, I hate them. And I know they know that, but uh, I just wanted to make it clear that we, we have nothing against people who love people, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like yeah. genuinely care about people. Um, one of the one of the podcasts I listen to religiously, ironically, um, is called the Holy Post Podcast. And it's filled with people who are Christians who I differ greatly on theology, but they care about people and they love people. They actually want to help people by getting vaccines and they speak out for that. And they actually cared about things like Black Lives Matter. And so there, there are people that I will listen to that are conservative because they choose to love and listen to people. And so um uh, just want to get that out there that again, I know we probably said it a million times, but we don't hate anyone on this, on this podcast. We there, love people. There are like two people I hate, but We'll move on from there. It, it's not the people we're talking about on the podcast. It's a personal thing. It's very deeply personal. Yeah. Uh, but we'll move on from there. Right. We'll, maybe we'll talk about that in another episode. Yeah, maybe. Keep listening if you want to figure out who it is I hate. <laughs> um, I think that's that's a pretty good setup. Um, we'll move on from there. We're going to go ahead and take a break real quick. All right. Well, I, I guess we'll move on then. We did pretty quick. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was... The fastest intro we've ever had. <laughs> it's pretty uh, quick. So, yeah, we'll go ahead and jump to break. Did we record a new commercial, or is it still the same one? It's still the same one. Don't hate me. I won't hate you. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll record a new commercial soon. I'll try. I'll try. Stick with us, guys. We'll be right back. Welcome back to our pod. Thanks for sticking around. Yes. All right, guys. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna just jump right on into the main segment. We've been jumping in every time, so we're, why why mess with something yeah. that ain't, ain't broken? What ain't broke? Don't fix it. <laughs> so, main segment for today is going to be all about American nationalism. Uh, when it comes to our deconstruction journey, a lot of our pain and confusion definitely stemmed from discovering that the country mm. that we were raised to believe is holy, God blessed, and pure may not be as historically clean and deserving of such high praise. Mm. Um, today, we're going to dive into some of the thoughts and ideas that we had to shed in our trek to better understand the country we call home. Yeah. Um, and how appropriate that we're recording this the day after Indigenous Peoples Day, I'm which is formerly you. Columbus Day. Correct. So yes. I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast still, you probably don't celebrate <laughs> Columbus Day anymore. I mean, no, that's not true. There's some people I know that might, but I, I think at least, and this is a good, this is a whole reason why we're bringing this up because there's there's conversations to have about him and about the whole, like, like, do you know why Christopher Columbus, like the whole holiday, like came into existence? Something to do with him having sex with a manatee? What? Oh, you don't know that story. I don't think I want to know that story. Yeah, so that that is a thing from his own diary where he, like, straight up had sex with a manatee, and he complained about it because he was saying it was a mermaid. And people were like, yo, that's that's definitely not a mermaid, man. I don't know what you're looking at. He was like, no, 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 she was just a little chunky. <laughs> she was ugly, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, there's stories about but that. Why would and that... then also a story about him having sex with a llama. Why would that be a cause for him to have his own holiday? It's not. I just wanted to point <laughs> that out. Look, this is the man that I will... With no love whatsoever, referred to as Bitchtifer Columbitch. Oh my gosh. All right. 
I have no love for Columbus. I know he's Italian. He's your people. No, but, no, no. Look, 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 guys, if you want, look, we're not going to get into this, but just look for the main reason why he, he be, like, um, if I'm not mistaken, it was because the president wanted to appease the Italian immigrants that were coming over. Yep. Uh, and then secondly, look at how the people that did the whole Spanish Inquisition viewed Christopher Columbus. Oh, yeah. No, he was hated by his people. He was too <laughs> hardcore of a colonizer for the colonizers. <laughs> Like, these are the people that were leading the Spanish Inquisition. Oh, no. And they were just like, hold on, man. That, that's, <laughs> let's take it back a notch. Like, you're, you're, you're getting a little out there. Oh they arrested God. him. They stripped him of his titles. He died penniless and alone. Not because, and nobody believed he discovered America. Like it wasn't because of cancel culture. We were kids. It's because he was the worst. Yeah. He's in the bad place. For sure. Yeah. But we digress. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should do a whole episode on Christopher Columbus. Maybe one day. <laughs> let's, let's save it for way down let's the road. Save it for another rainy day. <laughs> All right. So uh, I'm going to uh, get into this with a little bit of my story because um, this is something that this is a subject that I'm particularly particularly a little passionate about. I really very am, passionate. Uh, I really enjoy talking about it. Um, yeah, so I'm going to preface this with if you know me for a while, you'll know that I am a history junkie. I love history. Uh, in fact, before I went to full-time ministry, it was my major in college. Um, and so I think my love of history, um, I think it started with hearing stories from my family members. Um, my grandfather on my mom's side, he was a, like I mentioned earlier, he was a medic in Vietnam. Oof. Um, so he has some stories that I definitely haven't heard all He's of. seen some shit. Um, my grandfather on my dad's side, he was, um, he, he was in the Navy in World War II. And then my great-grandfather on my mom's side, he uh, was a Ford observer in World War II. And so he was injured, I think, three times. Uh, I think he got some shrapnel in his butt. Lovely. Um, Something bit me. <laughs> it literally was that. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, they actually pulled some of the last of it out, like when he was like 80 years old. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I, I have a lot of this in my history. Um and it, it means a lot to me because I've heard stories and I've heard them talk about things. And so growing up, you know, I remember idolizing them because of what they went through. Yeah. Um, but middle school really was a pivot point, uh, though, when I realized that I could turn this into a profession. That was a thought, right? A personality, at least. <laughs> um, Mr. Pierce was kind of the the spear point oh, of that. Mr. He, Pierce. Mr. Pierce. Um I doubt he's listening, but he he would definitely look. He was a good teacher, no doubt about it. He, he was. He he loved to teach, and he taught very well. He inspired a lot of people like myself to get into history, um, and so what I believed back then is that we, the United States, America, we are the heroes all the time, no yeah. matter what. Mm -hmm. That we were the defenders. That we were the winners. Um, and so, like my journey into religious deconstruction, the first time I began to question what I had learned started in college. And guys, Texas college, CTC, you know, it's not like this super liberal yeah. Harvard or whatever. It's it's a community school. Which is insane that Harvard is considered liberal. I know. <laughs> um, and it wasn't even from a stereotypical liberal professor. Uh, it was just the mere fact that some of the things that I was taught to believe by conservative ideology or the public school system were rather missing details, were wrong, or worse, completely ignored. There was big parts of history that, granted, 
I'm not saying it's the public school system's job to teach everything, but there is things that are like this would have made more sense if I would have known this or, you know, little things like that. Yeah. So it really inspired me, like with my religious deconstruction, to dive in more and to learn more about a lot of our history that is hidden. And the more that you research on your own, not the more you're indoctrinated by the liberal left. Yeah. But the more that and you can just find these things in like people's diaries yeah. and old newspapers, things that were reported but never like put into the yeah. the light of education in our country. Right. So things like America's colonization of island nations, including Hawaii. Go look that up, guys. Never learned about that until I started doing my own research Mm -hmm. after hearing from people that live there, native Hawaiians. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, War crimes committed by individuals, again, individuals in American wars, uh, Americans' darker origins. Uh, Wars started by America, and it's – yes, America has started wars, by the way. That it was not involved in. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And it's atrocities committed by Americans – America's presidents and government on indigenous peoples all began to put doubt in my conservative understanding of U.S. history. So it led me to look into more sources, books, movies, and perspectives on the history that I used to feel so confident in. And while many of, not most of these uh, discoveries have shed a dark shadow on on America's so-called righteousness, it has eliminated my love for home and to feel empathy for those who were or excuse me, it hasn't eliminated my love for home and to feel empathy for those who were ignorant of the actions committed by those with power and wealth. And it's basically just reiterating what I said before, is that we recognize that, I think I mentioned last week that I started rewatching or I finished rewatching Band of Brothers. Yeah. And I was listening to a podcast about that show, and uh, Tom Hanks was talking about it, and he's talking about because he was one of the producers and uh, the creators of the show. Yeah, because he was in the movie. No, he was in no. Saving Private Ryan. Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. I, I get those. Spielberg and him did both of those things, yeah. though. Um, anyways, uh, he, he talks about how, obviously, he, he, the reason for the show was he wanted to show that these were just average, you know, humans, man, boys in a way, who were caught into this war and who were made to see and do horrific things. Yep. And so I, I will be the first to defend veterans because – they are pulled into these things mo- more often than not, um, rather through draft or rather through propaganda or through whatever. And so um, today we're, we're going to be unpacking some things that, I don't know, it's, it's sensitive, but it, it, it's, it's, it's important to talk about. It's important to, as a person who loves history, it's important to you know, have conversations about. And yeah, so, for sure. Yes, let's get so into it. Some of the things that we'll be unpacking, like Tim was just mentioning, um, one of the things that I hear all the time, because I, again, it doesn't matter how far left you lean, like <laughs> you can be an absolute leftist communist living in Texas. Oh, you are hear going it. to hear it. America is the best country in the world. Or its sister statement, Texas is the best country <laughs> in the world, which I'll agree with. I think Texas is the best, but America is the best country in the world. Um, let's actually discuss what the U.S. is number one in, though, yeah, shall we? let's do it. Um, and all of our sources are in our show notes. So if you don't believe us, feel free to scroll down and click on a couple of links. That's right. Read where our sources and are And there are from. plenty today. This is not just stuff that we wanted to say. No. We brought receipts. <laughs> um, we are number one in health care spending. Yep. U.S. per capita health care spending is more than two times the average of other developed countries. Um, which basically just means that we're charging twice as much for things that services doctors do. Yep. 
um, medications, all that stuff. We are number one in our incarceration rate. So despite making up close to 5% of the global population, the U.S. has 25% of the world's prison population. That is mind-boggling. The next 10 countries, El Salvador, Turkmenistan, Palau, Rwanda, Cuba, Maldives, Virgin Islands, Thailand, Bahamas, and Panama. Those are the next 10 countries. Anything remarkable about those countries? Uh, They are all (laughs) second and third world countries, according to (laughs) America's beliefs. Yeah. And we have way more prisoners than any of those countries. Yeah. Per capita. That's not just like the number, but it's also per oh, capita. Oh, yeah, for sure. For We're sure. way up there. 25% of the global population for prisoners. Yeah. Uh, we are number one in gun ownership, which a lot of people see as a good thing, I guess. it. I mean, I like guns, but it's excessive in our country for it's sure. It's resulting in some things for uh, sure. With 120.5 guns per 100 individuals, that's 12.05 per 10 individuals. That is 1.2 guns for every person we have in the U.S. That's insane. Yeah. Uh, the next closest rate is the Falcon, Falkland Islands, <laughs> uh, which is 62.1 guns per 100 individuals. That's the next closest one. We literally double that. <laughs> and the global average is 26.2 per 100. Yeah. That's two guns, two and a half guns per 10 people. Yeah. We have 1.2 per ten <laughs> per person. Yeah. That's insane to me. And granted, uh, full disclosure, I'm one of them. Yeah. yeah no, <laughs> un- completely. I'm part I of own, the problem. I own guns. <laughs> not just a gun, but guns. Yeah. Um, And it it's... It is what it is. Um, <laughs> go go listen to our episode about guns to hear more about that. Yeah, we, we did another episode on guns. Go <laughs> yeah. check that out in the, in the previous episodes. Um. We are also number one in military spending with $778 billion Crazy. per year. Yeah, yeah. Per year. Uh, higher than the next 11 countries combined. Half of which are our allies. Yeah. Um, by the way, if the U.S. police were its own country, it would come in third on that <laughs> list, only behind the U.S. itself and China. <laughs> Isn't that just... Our police budget beats almost every other country's military budget. So, guys... So, when we say defund the police, (laughs) that's what we're talking about. We're not saying just quick... Like, like a lot of this spending is spent on things that aren't needed for police officers to do their job. Why do your police officers have tanks? That's my question. There you go. Like, I understand they need cop cars they need guns to protect themselves yeah there's a lot of things that they need uniforms uh paper for printers they need phones they need drug testing equipment all of that stuff i get it that's fine but why do they need like full-on assault rifles swat gear for every police officer and tanks yeah that i don't get just again third behind the u.s and Communist China. And this is like 200 and some some odd different sovereign nations in the world. <laughs> yeah. We're third for just our police. Our, never, our, never mind our military. Because, our, <laughs> look, you can argue the merits of having the world's strongest military all day long. Yeah. That's great. Um, $778 billion, I feel like, is a bit excessive. We're also oh, one yeah. of the only militaries with military bases in our allied countries' yeah, yeah. areas. That That's all well and good argue that for what it is our police though (laughs) Uh, 
This is stuff we say for this episode, and we didn't talk about in our race episode. I just want to point that out. Uh, I, I deliberately put it in here yeah. for this. No, I'm, I'm aware. <laughs> That's why we didn't bring it up, because we were going to talk about it today. I just want to point that out, that I could have come at this from a race standpoint, and I didn't. <laughs> this is from a purely budgetary standpoint. Yeah, yeah. It's insane. <laughs> defund the police, guys. Hashtag defund the police. Um, um, there's a... There's a famous clip from a show called The Newsroom where oh, yeah. Jeff Daniels' character is asked, why is America the greatest country in the world? If you haven't seen this clip, Google it. It's a good one. It is. It's so good. Yeah. It's powerful. I need to at- watch that show. Um, he gives a list of reasons why it's not, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, I, same, same I believe it was, it was a young woman stood up and was like, why is America the greatest country in the world? And he just goes, it's not. <laughs> and then he just goes off on his list. Um, he says that there are 207... Sorry, yeah, 207 sovereign states in the world, and like 180 of them have freedom. Because <laughs> that's usually one of the things. Uh, yeah, because everybody's freedom. like, America's got freedom. We're the freest country in the world. Are we, though? Are we, though? Are we, though? Really? Are we? And what's that freedom worth? Did you have to buy a fishing license today to go fishing? Are we the freest? In- anyway, that's a side issue, too. Um, so he lists off the reasons. We're seventh in literacy, 27th in math, 22nd in science, 49th in life expectancy, 178th in infant mortality, third in median household income, number four in labor force, and four in exports. We're not number one in any of the good stuff. (laughs) Um, The point, though, isn't the numbers. (laughs) It's the fact that the stats are a little old, and the U.S. does have some high rankings, like education. We're number one. Um, but rather the point is that maybe we're not as holy, good, perfect, statistically number one as we think we right. are. Look, guys, like, yeah, that, that clip is like 2012. But we've worked on some things since then. Right. We, we've lifted our numbers in a lot of the things that we do. And obviously some other countries have dropped down. The whole thing has shifted. But the point is we aren't always number one in everything right, the way right. we're taught growing up. Yeah. And it, it, it's, it's different if it's objective. It, or, or if it's uh, subjective, excuse me, if if things are like, yes, I love this country because, you know, my family's here or because my my family, you know, fought for it or whatever it is. And those are good reasons to love your nation. But a lot of the, the reason why we brought up this point in particular is because there's many people who just say this because of whatever. They'll say things like freedom or they'll say things because of whatever other stat or our military is the best. I'm like, is that really a great thing to celebrate? Yeah. It, <laughs> you know, it. It's just one of those things where people say things sometimes and you're just like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> like, we're saying the same thing. You're just looking at it from the wrong angle. Right. Like, yeah. We spend the most money on the military. Yes. That's not a good thing. <laughs> that's not a good thing. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's, let's move on. Another point about American nationalism that, we, that we've heard and that we've um, – deconstructed from is america has been or is the greatest democracy first off we're not even technically a democracy <laughs> so um <laughs> let's, let's talk about that let's talk about who could vote in our country from the beginning and um full disclosure i got this timeline from insider news that they have this great video again it's in our show notes but i also added some other things in there yeah, so a uh, spoiler alert though before you start it wasn't black people <laughs> just in case you guys are wondering i could not vote Okay, so again, this is who could vote. In Washington's second election in 1792, only 1.3% of the country's population actually cast a ballot. And uh, and because all but five states only allowed white men who owned land to vote. 
The other states, Vermont, New Hampshire, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, and Maryland, allowed free people of color to vote as well along without property ownership, but it's only those states. This means just 6% of Americans could vote. I'm not kind of I'm not sure what kind of government that is where you call it to where only 94% of its citizens can't vote but it doesn't sound very democratic to me. It's a representative republic. Yeah. Uh, in 1824 many states no longer required voters to be land owning uh, to be landowners and voted almost doubled. Um, in 1848, after the Mexican-American War, even though the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo gave citizenship to Mexicans in newly conquered territory, most territories required voters to read and speak English. Man, that's, yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Um, in Especially 18- in a country that doesn't have a specific language. Yes. In 1864, we first had absentee voting, primarily for soldiers out in the field. So in case you guys are like, oh, this is brand new, just liberal, whatever. Nope, had it for a while, guys. Started in the Civil War. Uh, in 1870, we had the 15th, oh, which, by the way, was from a Republican president, uh, but we'll talk more about that later. In 1870, we had the 15th Amendment signed by President Grant, giving all male citizens the right to vote, and though you couldn't explicitly prevent black people from voting, you could set up poll taxes and literacy tests to prevent the majority from doing so. That's the type of thing where, like, obviously it's not... They didn't say, yo, well, since you're black, you can't vote. It's the spirit of the law, yeah. not the letter of the law. Yeah. Like, these things aren't written so that black people can't vote, but they're written in a way that yeah. black people can't vote. Exactly. Um, oh, and this does not apply for Native Americans. Like, they couldn't vote no matter what yet. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, election of 1876. So this is actually really interesting history and something that's really important for just understanding why we are the way we are and why Jim Crow started to happen. So in the election of 1876, Samuel Tilden, and uh, he was a Democrat, versus Rutherford B. Hayes, he was a Republican. Um, so it was a tight election, which meant it came to Congress to decide. And they made a deal with the Republicans. Republicans will get the presidency if they will remove federal troops from the South. Why is this important, you might ask? They were the only ones enforcing the new civil laws for the now freed enslaved people, allowing black peoples to vote and run for office, buy property, all these different things. So there were actually many black people in the South that were voted into Congress up to this point and after the Civil War. But after this election, it was it, it decreased dramatically. Uh-huh. This began the era of Jim Crow, where most southern states would make it extremely difficult at best to make it for black people to vote. Right. Side note, between 1868 and 1998, 22 African-American representatives were sent to Congress from the South. The next one after that, 1929, from Chicago, as a result of Jim Crow laws. In 1882, the Chinese Exclusion Act prevented Chinese people from becoming American citizens. It wasn't until 1910, 11, and 12 that Washington, Oregon, and California allowed women to vote. In 1920, the 19th Amendment gave women the right to vote. And it wasn't until the Civil Rights Act in 1957 and 1960 that Jim Crow began to be taken apart. Lyndon B. Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Guys, this stuff didn't happen that long ago. Yeah. You're looking at roughly 50 years since everyone was able to vote. You don't, if you don't think that shaped our nation, yeah, you're willfully ignorant. So 150 years of not everyone can vote. Guys, we are not the greatest democracy, or at least we haven't been. Just have it. 
we 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 that is such a false accusation. And again, this is not saying that America is trash and we have to hate it and everything. But again, we should at least understand where our history comes from, where oh, yeah. we have been, what we have done to those uh, who are who are different from us, who who are not in power. Yeah, Chris, let's go on. Uh, one of the other statements that we'll hear is the liberals are trying to erase our history. I, mm. Mm. especially during that uh, statue and monument thing where everybody was trying to bring down Confederate statues, which I wish was still going on. I live in Belton. I drive past a Confederate statue every day. Oh yeah, it, it's right outside the muse- the um, not the museum, um, the city town thing. hall. Town hall. Thank you. Yeah, the town hall <laughs> thing next to a museum. Like to move it, like maybe yeah. two hundred feet down the road would be all I'm asking. <laughs> but it's right outside the town hall. Um, so getting into that, did you know, Tim, that the vast majority of Confederate statues were not done? During or after the Civil War. Like, not immediately or after. Immediately after, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so after 1877, between the 1890s and the 50s. Was 1950s. The 1950s, yes. <laughs> was the biggest statue, like, I, I think I read the statistic, like, 70% of Confederate statues now are from that era, 1940s yeah. to the 1950s. Crazy. <laughs> I wonder why that is. I think it rhymes with Bim Bro. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Could be me. Um, yeah. Those monuments are not for history, though. No. That's the thing that kills me when people are like, they're no. destroying history. No, we're not. The history's in the books. The yeah. history's in the museums. History's on the internet. Yeah. You can read it. It's super easy. Yeah. You just haven't because <laughs> you're still supporting those statues. Uh, statues like that are made for celebrating and adoring. Yeah, they're made for remembering That's, things in a positive light. Right. Typically, yeah, it's that, some, it's something to literally look up to. It's something to 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 reflect on. And go, wow, th- I want to be like that when yeah. I grow up. That's why you will never <laughs> like you won't find a Hitler statue no. in Germany. No, you won't. Or a Stalin statue in Russia, Mussolini in Italy. Like those mm-hmm. statues, just they aren't there. Yeah, they were torn down immediately. And that's that's another thing that blows my mind. Like when we were when we first got Saddam Hussein out of power, everybody was sharing those videos oh, yeah. and it's all over the news of his statue coming down and everybody's cheering about it because we toppled an oppressive government, whatever you want to call it. But now that we're doing that to Confederate statues that were oppressing black people, everybody's like, Oh, hold on now. Yeah. That's our history, that's our heritage. You're just racist. It's literally a racist country that was trying to depart from the United States of America. But what about states' rights, Tim? <laughs> it was states' rights to own black people. That's exactly what it states was. States' rights to have slaves. And if you're questioning that, go look up their constitution. It's literally in their constitution that they wanted slaves. Each state had to submit a reason for seceding, and I'm pretty sure it was all of them. If not all of them, most of them. Yeah. Like, before they got to, like, reason number four, it was, like, in the first three reasons, slavery. Yeah. That's what they wanted. Yep. Ridiculous. Um, yeah. Sorry, that that really gets under my skin. That, see, that one in particular. Yeah. Um, If you don't mind, I'd like to say this part. See, what's usually brought up in conversations like this are it was Republicans 
who freed the slaves because Abraham Lincoln was a Republican. Yeah. Sure. No. By, by party hun- name. A hundred percent. He was a Republican by party name, for sure. Yeah. Which, uh, which one, is ironic considering the racists they are defending were Democrats. Um, but two, uh, we had a party switch, sort of. So up until like the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, conservatism and liberalism wasn't solely found in one party or the other. You had things like Southern Democrats and Northern Democrats or urban Democrats or mm-hmm. things like that. Um, and so if you look at like a, like a blue and red state election maps, like all the way from the beginning, you'll see that the South was blue after the Civil War for up until like the 70s, if I'm not mistaken. It's transitioned during that time. It wasn't until Reagan, he's the one that really, or maybe, no, 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 who was it before him? Uh, Carter? Carter. Like it wasn't until that era that it really started to switch where the Republican states became um, the Southern states. Right. Um, So the way I understood it is there was, like there were two parties and the Democrats were the ones that had the KKK and the more conservative correct people. Uh, the KKK eventually tried to like move away from the Democrats though because they weren't extreme enough. Yeah, and they found they formed their own party, the Dixiecrats. Yep. Uh, which during the party shift, the Dixiecrats started voting Republican. Yeah, and the people that typically voted Republican were like, "All right, this is a bit much," so they started voting Democrat. And it kind of like as people left one party, people came to the other one. Right. And they just kind of like rotated the positions. So now the the people that were liberal as Republicans are now the liberal Democrats. Yeah, and yeah. that's when that started happening. And then, like you said, Carter became the big push behind that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it, it, all this stuff. And uh, there's a video that really depicts this greater than what we're saying. But there's there's a video by the Holy Post, Phil Vischer. Um, and I'll put it in the show notes, but it really, it, the whole video is about why do white Christians vote Republican and black Christians vote Democrat? And this video explains this concept and how basically it was, it kind of kind of came down to the urban voters and how they, a little bit more quote-unquote liberal. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, this shift really happened during the whole era of law and order t- uh, 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 tactics from like Nixon and um, uh, Carter and Definitely right. And it, it really shows the danger of identity politics too. Oh, because yeah. if you're just voting because your family's always been Republican, then you don't understand the history of what that means. Yeah, yeah. And you typically don't look at values of each right. party. You're just voting, oh, this guy's a Republican, this guy's a Democrat, so I'm gonna vote for this guy because yeah. my family's always been Republican or my family's always been Democrat. It's, it becomes a really dangerous thing because they can say and do whatever they want as long as they claim to be Republican or Democrat. They have your vote. Right. And they know that. Yeah. No, it, it's really – I had a conversation with my dad a while back, um, and it was really interesting because his mom voted Democrat all the time. She's, they're from Iowa. Um, but I had explained to him, like, Dad, during that time, they weren't necessarily liberal or conservative. It was just kind of who they voted for, and it, it was really about the working class or the urban or whatever it was. Um, and so she has held on to that, or she did before she passed away for the longest time just because that's how she always voted. Um, but I, I showed him a video. It was actually, I, th- I think, during that video where I actually showed where one of the Dixie Democrats who just wanted, basically didn't want segregation or desegregation and didn't want um, all these different you know um, civil rights things happening, he switched parties because of that. And so mm-hmm. 
it's not as simple as we all have been brought up to believe. Yeah. Um, while we're still on that topic, though, one of the things I wanted to say is that the people that are overtly racist and even terroristic <laughs> nowadays, like you can say the Republicans freed the slaves and Republicans are the real heroes of history all you want. When somebody gets arrested for terrorism against black people or well, rarely when they get arrested for it, not killed, mm. they're almost always far right. Yeah. Like they're Republicans, albeit extremist Republicans yeah. for sure. They almost always will support Republican presidents and governors and mayors even like all the way down the ballot Republican. They're yeah. far right terrorists because that is the closest to their belief system that they can latch on to in this country. Yeah. Let's move on. Next, well, next, uh, next, uh, like, like we <laughs> said, this is, we're a little heated on this topic and I make no apologies. Um, the next thing that we hear all the time is we're a free nation. We have freedom. freedom! Like they think the Braveheart speech was an American thing. <laughs> Like, anytime you hear the word freedom in America, they just automatically assume it's American. Like, yeah. No, they were Scottish, dude. <laughs> like, they were legit wearing kilts. Just because it was Mel Gibson doesn't mean it's an American speech. But, you know, beside the point. Uh, yeah. um, according to the Human Freedom Index, America actually ranks at a tie in 17th place. <laughs> not even a number one tie. In 17th, 17th place behind countries like New Zealand, Switzerland, Hong Kong. Hong Kong. Hong Kong, as far as most Americans know, is just a city in China. It's actually its own. Right. Kind of. It it has its own, like, it's a country. sovereignty. Yeah, because it gained freedom from uh, Britain in, like, what, 96, 97? Yeah. It's still in China as a city, but it's also a country. It's a weird thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's kind of like actually how the U.S. has states and most other countries are like, what is a state? Well, we're our own thing, but we're also part of the U.S. It, it's a thing. Yeah. Um, so, sorry, Hong Kong, Denmark, Australia, Canada, Ireland, Estonia. Estonia, man. Those which, guys. <laughs> Estonia, man. Come on. If you're Estonian, let us know. Hit us up. Please. Uh, Japan, the U.K., and more. <laughs> Obviously, because we're 17th place. Tied for 17th Tied place. for 17th. Not even like we hold steady at 17. Um, according to Heritage.org, the U.S. ranks 20th on the Index of Economic Freedom behind countries like Singapore, New Zealand, Taiwan, Canada, Iceland, the United Arab Emirates, Netherlands, and Chile. Chile. And according to Freedom House, which, quote, rates people's access to political rights and civil liberties in 210 countries. So they know what they're doing. The U.S. ranks 61st, <laughs> tied with South Korea, Romania, Mo Monaco, sorry. I always get Monaco and Morocco confused. Monaco and Panama. <laughs> so if you thought we were doing better than Panama, you're wrong. You're tied. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen that show Prison Break, but that happened in Panama. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And we're tied there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Probably because of our canal, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, okay, so all of these assumptions, among many others, have given a, a false notion, and this is important, that the United States is objectively the best country in the world and has led to great hubris and great harm to others. They breed other false notions, like we are the defenders or the police of the world. We epitomize freedom and therefore need to enforce it to the world. And by the way, going into a country and toppling a government to replace it with a democracy is still imperialism. 
Yeah, it's still colonization. Yeah. Um, it also produces thoughts like, we can't allow others to come into this nation because they might ruin it. And let's talk about immigration for a second. We are a nation made of immigrants. Immigrant. Yeah. Granted, most have been white Europeans, but the fact is that our heritage is to allow people into our borders, not out. Brown European. That's right. What? I was born in Germany. Oh. <laughs> I was like, what? On an American military base, <laughs> granted, but... My dad is an immigrant from Honduras. I am yeah. an immigrant from Germany. Uh, my mother is national-born U.S. citizen. She was born in uh, Washington, I believe. Hmm. I'm pretty sure she was born in Washington. Uh, so, Cool beans. I'm a citizen, but I'm an immigrant. <laughs> uh, but more on immigration later. But it also blinds us these assumptions from learning the complexities of other thoughts and mindsets and makes us unnecessarily fearful of new ideas xenophobia yeah like socialism it's one of the weapons used by conservatives to bring fear to americans who are not learned on all the aspects of different ideologies and practices and while we won't spend much time on the different forms of government and where we think we should land um you know i, I don't think i don't know it's it's complex. I'll leave it Look, like I, I shared a Facebook <laughs> post the other day that got a couple of comments um, where somebody said, you know, they posted a picture of a homeless camp um, mm. in, I think it was in California, and they were like, this is the future housing plan under communism. And I was like, bro, this is the current <laughs> housing plan under capitalism. Like, this that is, is an actual picture <laughs> of the U.S. right now. Yeah, yeah. That did not make the point you thought it was trying to make. Yeah, yeah. And I posted that, and somebody's like, well, we can't, you know, support communism. And I was like... Granted, I, I understand what you're saying. Theoretically, communism is great. In practice, historically, it hasn't worked out. Yeah, yeah. But we've never had a true communist country right. in the world. Right. And I'm not saying that communism is the answer. Yeah. I'm saying capitalism ain't it, chief. It's not working. And you can't say that the things we fear for the future, if we do this, this, and this, are horrible if they're already happening. Look, look, guys. All, when I was when I was a youth pastor, I would say all the time to some of my student leaders, "If you're not helping, you're you're killing it. You're, you're making it worse." Yeah. It, my my point is is that obviously where we're at today with our homelessness, with our um, the state of our economy, the state of our uh, with with people who are of color who do not have the same economic freedoms as everyone else. Obviously, what we have hasn't worked. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that means we should just get rid of capitalism because I do I, I do. On a personal level, I do like the freedoms that capitalism does provide. There is a middle ground, though. There is, like, and, and that's the problem. Is sorry, that's the problem is that we we create these defenses as if capitalism and communism are the only two parts of the spectrum that we can uh, you know adore to, and that we can't move at all to. And it's just like, no, we it's just just like how we are a democratic republic. It, it, we're not just a straight up democracy. We can adjust how we are to better. Fit our, our country and its needs. Yeah, only Sith deal in absolutes. <laughs> right, so we're going to end this section by saying that, again, we don't hate America. Nope. It is okay to be objective and critical about the state of your nation and to be patriotic and proud of those things within the country. It's allowed to be critical of the wars fought and proud of the soldiers. It's yeah. okay to see and recognize the harm our country's doing and its leaders have caused, and still they're doing it today. Yeah, like, yeah. You oh. can call that stuff out and still love the people within the broken system. Right, yeah. So we also believe in wanting to make things better. 
Um, can things be worse? Absolutely. Can things be better? Sure. Are we better off than a lot of the other countries in the world? No doubt. Um, it is an excuse to keep the status quo, though. Yeah. Like you said earlier, we can always be better. If you're not making the situation better, you're making it worse. And we need to be able to recognize the flaws we have in our system, the yeah. many, yeah. many flaws in our system. Uh, it's not an excuse to ignore pain and suffering and hurt being inflicted by those within the nation today who have already gone far too long without being without being heard. Yeah. Which leads us to the second half of this conversation. Christian nationalism. Because <laughs> we had to tie it into this whole religi- religi- religiosity. Religiosity? Religiosity? Religiousism. <laughs> Religiousnessism. Chris, take the lead, brother. Yeah. Uh, so why is it important in regards to our Christian deconstruction? Um, it Like, uh, what was her name? Kristen Dumez uh, said in her book, Jesus and John Wayne, the products Christians consume shape the faith they inhabit. Mm. Today, what it means to be a conservative evangelical is as much about culture as it is about theology. Take, take, that, in. take that in one more time. What it means to be a conservative evangelical is as much about culture as it is about theology. It doesn't. It, it's saying that what you believe isn't as heavy as blending into the culture of the people that you feel like believe the same things mm-hmm. as you. There's maybe maybe this is why deconstruction is becoming such a big thing among us millennials. But there's just been so many things that we have been taught to believe as not just foundational, but as eternal. Yeah, that, that like this is how it's always been. Right? We have always stood up for these things. We have always been on this side of things, and it just hasn't been that way. Yeah, Christianity in general, for sure, since it started. But Christianity in America, even just that smaller window. Yeah, like if you're looking at a four pane window, I'm sure you've seen four pane windows. You guys have houses and apartments. <laughs> like Christianity in America is like one little square on that window. That slides up and down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, like, Christianity in general is, like, the entire window right, frame right. and everything inside of it. So there, there's a lot of things that have changed over the history mm-hmm. of Christianity. And it's weird to see how how infinite we think America is when it comes to Christianity. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're going to dive into that assumption, actually. America was founded as a Christian nation. Let's Let's break that down a bit. Yeah. Uh, first off, regarding the founding fathers, oh, let's uh, let's break. If some you've knuckles. seen Hamilton, <laughs> we're about to get into it. I am not throwing away my shot. <laughs> uh, we can't paint them with a broad stroke in either direction. Yeah, absolutely. First off, they were like twelve when they founded <laughs> they this were country. Young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, were, I mean, I think Hamilton was like nineteen when he joined the military I and think so, yeah. finished his degree and started fighting for the war. And if that didn't last too long, they were all in their like twenties and early thirties. They with, were young. With the exception of Washington, I think he was like forty something. And Franklin. Uh and Franklin, yeah. But everybody else was like real young. They yeah. were our age. They were the millennials of the time. Oh yeah. Um actually they were millennials of the time, I guess. No, not millennials. They would have been centurions. No. <laughs> They're centurions of the time. Going into the eighteenth Uh, 1800s. Yeah. Um, So they say, sorry, they were human beings with a wide range of faith all along the spectrum. Right. And 
remember in the same way that many Christians and pastors have criticized people who proclaim they're Christian but don't seem to live up to the standards of what a Christian is, it's only fair that we do that with our founding Come fathers. On. Uh, so let's Come on. look at a few, for instance. Ben Franklin. Yeah. Uh, ben Franklin was a self-proclaimed deist, uh, doesn't necessarily believe in the Trinity or resurrection. Yep. Washington was hard to read as while he would attend the occasional church service, he was called a deist and would avoid kneeling for praying and other common Christian practices of the day. Uh, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson faith were also muddy as both would practice some common practices of the faith, but fail to mention or live by others. Slavery. <coughs> you okay? Yeah, I'm good. It sounded like you were saying slavery. <laughs> I just want to make sure. Slavery, right? That's one of the things we're talking about. Slavery, yeah, owning people, yeah. human beings, as though they were less than. I really love that song, um, Puritans. Uh, is it Propaganda? Precious Puritans, yeah. yeah. Oof. Oof. That's on our playlist. You guys should listen to yeah, that if yeah. you haven't. Uh, you can research many books and articles looking for evidence of both perspectives, and trust me, you will find plenty. Uh, but this further proves the point that their faith was not clear. No. Regardless of what your fourth grade history teacher told you, <laughs> their faith was not clear. Um, and mind you, the First Amendment protects all religions from the government. Its founding fathers wanted to create a nation that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, we're founded on religious freedom, not Christianity. Right. Like yep. you can believe and practice your faith however you want as long as it doesn't impede on another person's faith and the government can't tell you what to do look we are not founded as a christian nation if there was a time to establish like hey this is going to be a christian nation that was it that was their golden opportunity to go like you know what let's go let's just go ahead and make it a christian nation let's make it official put a stamp on it yeah nope didn't do it didn't do it (laughs) didn't establish a national language either but that's a secondary (laughs) thing um even if they were all self-proclaimed Christians, which, again, some were not. Um, actions kind of speak louder than words. Come on. 41 out of the 56 of the DOI signers, the Declaration of Independent Signers, were slaveholders. They all had at least one slave. Yeah. Uh, some of which, Jefferson, raped their slaves mm-hmm. and did other kinds of horrible things. And I don't want to hear any comments about, well, she was his mistress, you don't get to be a mistress as a slave as a person. Slave. No, like is always rape. Yeah, always one hundred percent. And people will say, you know, the slavery was all around. It was the thing of the time, sure. But at this point in history, it was pretty clear that race had something to do with it. Yeah, and also slavery was wrong from the dawn of Christianity. Mm. So here's some other few things regarding you know American Christian nationalism, things that we are like, oh, if we're a Christian nation, let's talk about the three-fifth compromise. We as a Christian nation decided that as a person of color, that a person of color is worth three-fifths of a white person. That that Christian, that's our foundation. That is our Christian nation foundation. I think the math works out like since I'm half black, I'd be like four-fifths of a person. Jesus. Um, But also, I wouldn't be allowed to vote anyway, so it doesn't matter. God. Let's talk about westward expansion. We as a Christian nation decided it was okay to invade, remove, betray, murder, and repeat said cycle to a large group of indigenous peoples for centuries in the name of manifest destiny and fulfilling God's purpose for America. Can we talk about the fact that we called it manifest destiny? Like, it is our destiny to rape and pillage and destroy these cultures that have been living here forever. Yeah. But now that white people are here, we want it. Yeah. And it's ours. I, I, I... I remember we're, we're going to use disease and guns to do it. 
intentionally used as smallpox blankets were a thing. Mm-hmm. Like they intentionally spread diseases, not just by accident, which accidentally happens, but intentionally spread disease. Yeah. Mm. I'm going to, y'all should go look up Andrew Jackson and just see what a piece of trash president human he was. Um, because he was he was the push for a lot of that stuff. Oh yeah. So let's talk about segregation and race. It was the Southern white Christians at the time, the Southern white Democrats, who would eventually evolve into modern day evangelical Republicans, who were calling for segregation for interracial marriages to be illegal. Mm-hmm. And they were not the minority. No, that's why Loving Day exists. Yeah, yeah, like, because we had to fight for it. Private schools in the 1950s and 60s evolved because people, white people, wanted to avoid black people in schools. Yep. It, it boomed in the 50s and 60s. Prior to that, very few. Yeah, because segregation was becoming a national thing, and you couldn't receive state funding if you were still segregated. So they just became private schools Yeah, where they drew their money from the people that were enrolled there. And they can basically people. say, hey, you can pay us to have your kids away from black people. Yeah. I, I would highly recommend reading White Too Long. If you're a Christian, w- read that and uh, Trouble I've Seen. It talks about this, just to be completely honest, it talks about the, the, the problem with white Christians during segregation and Jim Crow era. Um, so as Jared Stacy puts it, here's the thing. If you want to claim America was founded as a Christian country— from the Puritans' New England way to the southern establishment colonies, you must explain how Christianity fueled possession of native lands and the enslavement of black bodies. Not to mention internment camps for the Japanese. Again, the, Ooh, the yeah. inability for Chinese people to vote or be considered human even. All of that stuff. You have to justify all of that with Christianity. Yeah. Good luck. If you know anything about Jesus, good luck with that. Next up. Um, speaking of Jesus, immigrants. <laughs> yeah. Y'all don't know. Jesus was an immigrant, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He was born in uh, Bethlehem and then immediately had to flee to Egypt. Yep. And then came back from Egypt and traveled all over his area. That That's a refugee. That's a, yeah. Jesus was a refugee. Um, look, guys, we have the Statue of Liberty in New York Harbor. That's like one of the biggest points of American exceptionalism yeah. that we have. It's on all of our postcards Proud to be an American Statue of Liberty right there. Its placard says, bring me your poor, tired, and weary. Mm. But we have so little sympathy towards refugees and immigrants. Yeah. It's mind-boggling. Yeah, People are leaving war-torn homes where neighbors are beheaded, where people are being shot in the streets, women are being abducted and raped by government officials. They're leaving these places that where they don't have running water, and we don't want them coming here. We throw them in cages, and we separate them from their children, and we just assume that they're all drug dealers and gangsters and bringing their crime, and they're not sending their best and whatever Trump said. And, and for all the record, BS. And for the record, guys, the people on the left are just as upset at Biden with all this as oh, they are with sure. Trump. Like, no, he, he he made promises that he is not keeping. Yeah. It. we are not happy about it. Yeah, this is not a left or right issue. This is an American issue. Yeah, I, I say that because people on the right won't see that outrage from people on the left. 
because the right won't show it. They'll, they'll just go, oh, all these people are just siding with Biden. This is what it looks like now. It's like, but you were saying this ex- – never mind. No, we're still mad about it. Like, I'm, I don't care who's throwing people in cages. You're throwing people in cages. You're wrong. Yeah. Like, and understand, guys, my family is Honduran. There was a massive caravan that came from Honduras. It was like 12,000 people. And when they got here, everybody was just like, send them back. You know, don't let any of them in. Send them all back. They should have sought asylum in Mexico, which is doing the same exact things as Honduras. But they came to America because it it, state, it sets itself up as the land of the free, home of the brave, yeah. where everyone is welcome, the land of opportunity. And then they get here, and they're treated like shit. Yeah. And I remember, like, specifically one time I was uh, in my job. I was dealing with a customer, and I said, just as a thing, because they had Honduran cigars they were smoking while we were dealing. And I said, oh, hey, my family's from Honduras. And this person looked me dead in the eye and said, okay. See, I didn't know that. I thought you all spoke Spanish. You're one of the good ones, though, right? Like, your family didn't come here in that caravan, did it? Jeez. And granted, I don't know. I definitely have some family in that caravan. I don't know what level of family there, but I'm related to, like, most of that country. So <laughs> uh, my family is one of the founding families in that area. Um, so I just I didn't know how to respond to that at the moment. And I was like, well, no, my dad joined the U.S. military when he was 18, and the customer I was in was like, oh, okay, so he did it the right way. Mm-hmm. Way better than those people trying to sneak into our country. Like, you are talking to a Honduran right now, and you have zero regard for how I'm reacting to the struggles of my people. Yeah. Like, granted, my dad did come over here a long time ago, joined the military, got citizenship. I was born to his family on an American base. Like, we there obviously there's a a right way and a wrong way a legal way and an illegal way according to the government none of that matters to me but like these people do not care yeah about human life because they don't see it as human life right they just see it as well this is something that is the law then change the fucking law me. yeah <laughs> <laughs> that, that's all it takes. Like, if the law is wrong, change it. Yeah. I don't – look, granted, not everyone that comes to America is going to be the best person to try to enter a country. I get that. When people tell me, like, oh, well, if you get a bowl of Skittles and one of them is poisoned, are you going to eat the whole bowl? Skittles, no. Human lives, 100%. Yeah. Look, guys – I would have let – every one of those Hondurans into the country and then figured something out I'm because they are running for their lives. Yes. Guys, this look. is, it, it wasn't even illegal. It's asylum. It is 100% legal to seek asylum in yeah. the U S yeah. it's not a legal entry. It's not like they're trying to sneak into the country. They came here. They sought asylum from something that is a war crime in any other country out there. Yeah. Things that are happening to them that we set up, governments in other countries all the time to and that's what we justify that as oh we're stopping this from happening but when people come to us we're like no 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 you go back to where you came from we'll come get you if we want you yeah that's what really upsets me about that guys we we, we can 
when it comes to hum- look, there, look, granted, like Chris said, there are people out there that sure they they are coming in to do some damage. One hundred percent, take advantage you, of the country. You're right. I get it. Yeah, yes. you're right. But the majority are not. You cannot begin to tell me that these families coming over with their children, they would rather just have birth and just, or they would rather just let their kids come over and throwing their kids over the fences like we saw with Afghanistan. You can't tell me that these guys are trying to destroy the nation. That's bullcrap. Look, even if we want, we look. Me personally, look, I understand. There's a fear of wanting people coming over to to harm, to to enter our own families. But number one, the stats that show that people coming over, the, there are very few that actually do that. But even if it wasn't, we we need to change what we're doing. Yeah. We need to change the laws. We need to change how we import people. We need to quicken it. We need to make it cheaper. We need to, if people are running for their lives. What kind of Christians are we to refuse that? What kind of Christians, what kind of Americans are we to refuse immigrants who are looking for a place to have their families be safe from beheadings? All I know is that based on what I've seen on Facebook, based on the posts that some of these people share, the things that they say about immigrants and refugees, y'all would not have let Jesus into this country. No. (laughs) God. Like I said, he was a brown man born in the Middle East, and he had to run away to Egypt because they were killing children in his yeah. country. And when he got there, they took him in. They It doesn't say a whole lot about how they treated him while he was there. That's an, another thing altogether. But if he were born in Mexico and tried to come here, y'all wouldn't let him in. Yeah, Y'all have zero cares, and it's obvious. This is why we have so many issues with the Christian church, the Christian nationalist church specifically. Yeah. Um, being in Texas, though, let, let's talk about the Bible Belt. Yeah. Uh, so if you guys don't know, the Bible Belt is part of, sorry, is a part of the U.S. where religious, sorry, I'm still very upset about this. Oh, good. Where religion exists as a much higher rate than the rest of the country. It includes Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, the whole Southern Southern states, states, Alabama, all that. If you would imagine Forrest Gump would be comfortable living here, (laughs) it's probably the Bible Belt. (laughs) Um, So here are some other stats regarding the Bible Belt, though. Let's talk about this for a second. So in a place where religion holds the tightest grip on the people that live here, they have the highest divorce rate out of the U.S., Uh, the higher murder rates, obesity rate compared to the rest of the nation. Its murder rate is not only higher compared to other regions of the U.S., but also compared to less religious parts of the world. Yep. Not just the U.S., the world. Yeah. Um, The Bible Belt's teen pregnancy rates are worse than anywhere else in the U.S., and the overall health is lower compared to the other states. Um, For my Christian friends, we have several options here. One is to assume that all of this is fake news, um, which... We hear a lot, you know, fake news, fake blah, blah, blah. the mainstream media or the lamestream <laughs> media. Y'all are real creative with your insults. Um, just to assume that all of it's fake news, which it's not. Um, again, we have receipts. The stats are in the show notes. Two, we can blame someone else. Yeah. We can say, oh, it's the Democrats' fault. It's the whoever's fault. It's the left. It's these blue cities and the red states. That They're the ones doing all of this stuff. Um, the satanic panic. Of the eighties, we can blame whoever you want to blame. We can say it's Kiss's fault. I, I don't care. 
um, or three, we can just own our shit and take responsibility. That's just, just, uh, just take it. Just like we did this. Yeah. We have allowed this to like, it's so funny too. like hearing and I don't hear it that much anymore, but when, when millennials really were making a fuss about things and you would hear older gen people saying, like, look at these guys saying this or that, or doing this, like homies, you're the guys that raised us. Yeah. (laughs) You're the ones that shaped us. Participation trophy generation. (laughs) You're the ones that handed them out. (laughs) We didn't buy them. We weren't giving them to the kids. There wasn't some five-year-old smelting his own, uh, participation trophy so he could hand it out to his best friend on the end of soccer season like no y'all y'all did this <laughs> this is you we are working with the hand we were dealt yeah like this is not so that, that's what we mean by just taking responsibility like look we, we can point fingers all day long about this stuff the mere fact the reason why we're sharing all these stats and all these things is because this is the kind of stuff that's hidden from conservative circles from christian conservative circles yes and it's important to bring things up, not to bash Christianity as a gen- as a general thing. We still love Jesus. We still think Jesus is amazing. The problem is, is that its followers are doing really stupid things in His name. In His name, like y'all don't realize this is a modern day Crusades. <laughs> yeah, like just because we're not over there with swords killing Middle Easterners, like doesn't mean we're not doing the same thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. We are hurting people. We are killing people in the name of. Christian nationalism. See, this is the blend. This is where it all comes together. This is why we're talking about American nationalism and Christian nationalism, because it's one and the same. Unfortunately, it's become one and the same. Most of what the church holds on to today is a result of manipulation from conservative political leaders and Christian pastors seeking to become powerful and or relevant in America. Simple as that. Yeah, Guys, I cannot, and I know I've mentioned it this whole series, but I cannot recommend enough Chris and Dume's, uh Jesus and John Wayne. If you don't want to read it, go buy the audiobook. If you don't want to listen to a whole book, fine. Go look uh, in our show notes. We have this series, the podcast series uh, from the Holy Post where they actually interviewed her and kind of did it by uh, decades, like little sections. Please, you can see how... Get the cliff notes, man. <laughs> Just <laughs> something. You, you can see, and this is what, it's why it's such a big deal to me, is I see why I was taught what I was taught. I see why my parents were led to believe certain things regarding their faith. And And it's damaging. Yeah. And, again, that's not to say that what we have is all trash or to to bash Christianity or just the church, but it's to say, look, this is where we are. This is where we've come from. This is how we got here. And if we're going to fix it, we have to acknowledge some of this history, and we have to kind of go back on it and go, okay, we need to change some of the things. Which leads us to... (laughs) We've we've been debating if we want to talk about it or not because I I don't think I want to go through all the notes here that you have, but No, I don't in, either. In our show notes we'll include a couple of TikToks and different things about this particular person. But this is what everything that we've talked about produced one of the most controversial figures in American history to date. President Trump. Yeah. I'm not gonna start bashing Trump. Anything I've said about him, you can see on my Facebook. I'm not <laughs> his biggest fan. Um, but all of this stuff produced someone like Trump. Yeah. A person who was far too wealthy to connect to the regular people. A person who was great at manipulating his fan base and believing whatever he wants them to believe, whether it's voter fraud or uh, vaccination 
conspiracy theories. Um, the person who's great at saying, well, I never said this, oh, even though he definitely did, and there's yeah. receipts, uh-huh. but somehow people believe him. Yeah. Um, just those kinds of things. And whether it was Trump or whether it was someone else, the way that our country has been going was always going to produce someone like oh, this. Yeah, yeah. It was always going to be this type of person as our leader, whether right. it was Trump or someone from a political family doesn't matter it was always going to be this and the problem that i have isn't trump himself it's the things that he said and did that the church just supported right and whether it's because he's a republican or because they completely agree is irrelevant the fact of the matter is that he said a lot of horrible things he did a lot of horrible things yeah and the christian church supported him as a whole majority yeah, Even, let me let's Evan, redefine this. Evangelical Christian, Christian white, white Christian evangelical church. The problem isn't him being Donald Trump. It's the fact that he was a bully. He was vulgar. He was a liar. Uh, he's a master manipulator yeah. of his own base. Anyway, like anybody with a regular objective ability would be able to see what he's doing. Yeah, but some people just got so sucked into it. And to this day, I see, like, Trump 2024 flags. Like, bro, he lost. Yeah. Move on. You don't have to hero worship this guy who at best was a mediocre president. Yeah. A horrible human being. At best, you could argue he was a slightly less than mediocre president. He wasn't our worst president. You could argue right. that. I would say he was, but, you know, it is what it is. Um. All of that just boils down to what can Christian nationalism make these people who claim to be the loving followers of Jesus Christ do? Yeah. What can that brainwashing make you believe? We, we, Christians were never meant, literally, Christians, Jesus followers, were never meant to be this encompassed, this loving of a country of a nation, of a state, whatever. It's it's so backwards. And, then, uh, and it's so ironic, too, because I'll hear all the time, I heard all the time, you know, we, we, we're we not c- citizens of this country. We're the citizens of the kingdom. Sure. Okay. okay. Great. Act Th- like it. Let's, yeah, exactly. So let's end here. The facts are what they are. We can choose to double down or we can choose to take an honest look at ourselves and seriously consider that not all that we have been taught is the correct way or even God's way. The truth is there is no point in American history in which everything has been perfect. It's been scarred by limited freedoms, oppression, colonialism, and strict fundamentalism, all of which bring pain and suffering on someone, and Christianity has had a part in it. So where do we go from here? Do we rid America of Christianity? I don't believe so. I do believe that in order for Christianity to be relevant again in America, it needs a revival. But just like the Pharisees' misunderstanding of the coming Messiah, the revival that the church needs isn't what has always been prophesied over the past century. It needs to dismantle the American nationalism that has infiltrated its churches, and it needs to return to its roots of helping the poor and the oppressed. I think we should stop there. (laughs) <laughs> I think that's a good spot. Definitely run a little longer than we usually do. 
All right, guys, we will be right back after this quick break, and uh, we'll finish things up there. Hey, guys. So I know that was a a little passionate. It was a little bit longer (laughs) than usual, and we appreciate you guys sticking around. As politics are, I guess. Yeah. Again, a lot of these things shouldn't be politics. They're human rights issues. Yeah, yeah. They are now called politics, so it is what it is. Um, But we just wanted to jump back and say thanks again for listening we're almost done with this deconstruction yeah. series, I think. Yeah. Um, obviously, in our show notes, we've got a lot of our receipts and a lot uh-huh. of the surveys, the TikToks, the, the different things that we've looked up, all of the points that we've made. Um, we also wanted to give you guys a couple of additional resources. Yeah. Uh, so, for example, Tim. Yeah, so um, I didn't mention this in the show itself or in this episode, really, but there's a guy by the name of Jeremy Courtney, and he has this organization called Preemptive Love. And they uh, they go out into places like Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iraq, these nations. It really started since the war in Iraq and Afghanistan and are basically just humanitarian help. They, they go out there and they help people. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what they believe. It doesn't matter their political stances. It doesn't matter their religion. They just help yeah. clothe, feed, provide health care for people. Um, and his, his work has really inspired me because it's, it, he, a lot of the stigma, a lot of the hate around Middle Eastern people in the past 20 years, especially has really, um, it's really shaped a lot of Christian culture and American culture. And he, I think he still is, but he was at least a Christian and has talked about the different perspectives and what it means to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And, um, he has a book called, um, Love Anyways, that I would recommend. It's about his work at Preemptive Love. Um, and so there's that. And then, of course, as I mentioned before, Jesus and John Wayne. Please, if there's anything from me, my perspective, that you want to read, if, if you're a Christian and you want to understand why we got to where we are, if you understand how everything has led to Trump, you really should read this book. You really should. Listen uh, to it, read it, watch it on YouTube or whatever, wherever you can find it. Yep. This, this book holds a lot of weight to what is going on with deconstruction and de- uh, decolonialism. And, and she's not um, just like this random person who's like, hey, let me just write a book. She's a historian. and like She, she did the research. She, she did, did the work. It, it, there's so many, sh- there's all of her work, her sources, everything is listed out. It is a historical work. It is, um, it is beautifully well written and, uh, and unfortunately frightening. Yeah. In a way. Um, so yeah. Uh, a couple of the ones that I wanted to point out, and these are probably a little more for the non-reading, leaning people <laughs> like myself. Uh, first off, the book, uh, White Fragility. I can't talk about it enough because I absolutely adore that book. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of Christian nationalism is tied to white supremacy. We didn't get in too much into that in this episode, but no. see our previous episode. Um, and that explains a lot of how it happened, why it's still happening, and how we can fix it. Right. Um, check that book out, Robin D'Angelo, White Fragility. And if you haven't <laughs> already seen this show, Tim's laughing, but I stand by it 100%. I'm not saying it's bad. We, ha- we had a whole conversation about this show. Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> it's 
made as a children's cartoon and each individual episode isn't like specifically about nationalism, <laughs> but you can really see themes throughout this show. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the Jesus versus the Christians theme, like the way that people believe the avatar was supposed to be versus how he actually is. Mm. You can see that in the show. Um, the insane national beliefs, you can see that in the show as the way the uh, people of the Fire Nation believe the Fire Nation is compared to how it's actually treating the rest of the world. Uh, yeah. um, which, the quote that I love, and if you replace the word Fire Nation with USA, it is so pertinent to today's culture. Read it, uh, Prince Zuko is arguing with his dad, who is the Fire Lord, the leader of the Fire Nation. After his dad started, or his dad continued, I guess, he didn't start it, but he's continuing this war that's been going on for 100 years where they're trying to conquer all the other nations. Mm. Um, His dad tells him, you know, I've tried to teach you everything and you didn't learn anything. And Zuko says, no, I've learned everything and I've had to learn it on my own. Growing up, we were taught that the Fire Nation was the greatest civilization in history. And somehow the war was our way of sharing our greatness with the rest of the world. What an amazing lie that was. The people of the world are terrified by the Fire Nation. They don't see our greatness. They hate us. And we deserve it. We've created an error of fear in the world. And if we don't want the world to destroy itself, we need to replace it with an error of peace and kindness. Solid. Yeah. Again, if you just replace Fire Nation with USA, that is exactly what's going on here. But we don't see it because of the nationalism. Yeah. Yeah, we're blinded by it. And that's why I wanted to show those stats at the beginning of the show because, again, it's not to bash on America, but it's just to shed light on what other people, even our allies, think about us. Yeah, we're not saying that we need to undo everything we've done yeah. from the beginning, but there are certain things that need to change yeah. in order to be positive, to have any kind of positive impact in the world. Yeah, There are things that need to change. And I'm glad you said that too because nationalism – even Christian national, nationalism has, has blinded it, has, has really prevented us from, the information is out there, but it's prevented us from taking it in, calling it fake news or just ignoring it altogether. Um, it, it is remarkable, and this is why deconstruction is such a big thing it is today, because we see the hubris, we see the hypocrisy, we see yeah. the things that we are brought up to believe as Christian uh, foundation as you know, loving your neighbor, loving people, standing up against bullies, you know, all these different things that we were taught to believe. And then the church suddenly does the opposite. Champion them. That's a good quote. Shall yeah. I end it? Uh, before you do, I, I do want to say like, again, we don't hate America. No, <laughs> I love living here. I love the freedom I do have. I love we're grateful for the it. people that I know. I love the celebrations of life, the experiences that I get to have. I love this country. Yeah. And, and we're grateful for those who have served and those who are serving. And for we're sure. We're, we, and I will, I will generalize and say most, 95% of people on the left do as well. I don't know about ninety five, but most definitely most. <laughs> at least from what at least from what I've seen, but yeah, nobody actually hates the troops. Like, well, that's a good point. Yeah, um, the issues again are the people in charge. Yeah, not the troops themselves. Right. Uh, but all of that to say, like, we love this place. We don't hate America. Yeah. We just demand that she keeps her promises. Mm. So today, our journey has brought us to a topic that resonates deeply within us, with family members and 
friends who have served, fought, and died for us in our country, this discussion was and will never be simple for us. Like war itself, American and Christian nationalism is convoluted with many perspectives, ideas, and questions that cannot all be addressed within a singular episode. And despite the common perception of those who critique their own nation, we didn't deconstruct the love of our country, but rather a false idol. And even in the face of this episode's grim undertones, we still have a hope for this country of ours. The place where its citizens fight for a community in which all can be truly equal, where its history can be wholly revealed, not to demonize where we've been, but to better reveal where we are and how we got here. And ultimately, we hope for a community where love and respect for one's neighbor is has greater weight than any ideology. Mm. Those ending quotes for me, Tim. <laughs> I'm, I'm here for it. I appreciate it, brother. All right, guys. That is our conversation today about American and Christian nationalism. Join us next time when we bring this to a close, as a pastor yeah. would say. <laughs> um, no, honestly, guys, we would love for you to be part of the conversation. Give us your comments. Send us emails, TikToks. Tag us in your Instagram posts. Come find us. Whatever you want to do. Send us anything you can. Join Please. the conversation. Tell your friends. Tell your mom. Get everybody involved. <laughs> um, we know we don't have a huge fan base just yet. Hopefully we will one day. Uh, but we want you guys to be part of this because there is always more to discuss. Yeah. Yeah. That's good, man. All right, guys. On that note, we love you all, and we will see you next time. Peace out, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Deconstruction Series on the Always More Podcast. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, comment, and share this wherever you listen to us. Be sure to check out our resources and recommendations in the show notes for both this episode and episodes to come. And lastly, don't forget to listen into our Deconstruction playlist on Spotify that can also be found in our show notes. Thank you, and see you next time.